Thank you for that time of worship, team, and uh, good morning. How are we? Now that you're awake, right? Yeah, good morning. Well, my name is Ray. I'm one of the pastors here serving with you at New City. The first thing we're going to do here is on the inside of the aisle, there's a little clipboard, and if you're on the inside of the aisle, I'm going to ask you to grab that and pass that down the aisle, okay? There's a couple things we're going to ask you to do. If you could, just write your name on there so that we know you're here, but then also... Uh, there is a, a little connect, a thing that says connect card at the top, okay? And so it looks a little something like this. If you're a guest with us today, we'd love for you to fill that out, and then I will meet you at that orange table right there at the end of the service, all right? We just want to say, hey, thanks for coming, uh, welcome you, and then we have a gift for you as well, okay? And so uh, the clipboard is just a way that we kind of keep track of who's here so that if you go missing, we can check up on you and just make sure you're good and that things are good and that if there's any way that we can also help you, like if you have something going on in your life that you just need help with. And so um, that's the reasoning for why we do that. But speaking of guests, okay, we have uh, a mission team here with us right back here on this row. I'm going to put you on the spot, but these guys right here, some of them came up last year. Uh, and helped us out right before we launched, and so they're back this year, and then some of them are new, and so we're glad to have them this week. They're going to be helping us in multiple capacities, but also the guy that was up here playing um, Cajon here, his name's James, and like, he's, I'm I'm going to try not to cry, this is weird, but anyway, James and I have done ministry together for multiple years, or did, We, we haven't in the past two years, but... He's seen my good, he's seen my bad, I've seen his good, I've seen his bad, but man, we've done life together, and it is awesome to have him sitting here today, and even to be able to play in the band, and just what God's doing in his life, and how God's using him uh, in Fort Smith, it's just been cool to see, and I mean, I'll say this for everybody, like, we don't connect enough, right? Like, every time I go back to Fort Smith, I try to see him, but often I don't do a great job of connecting with you, but it's awesome to have you here this week and get to spend time with you, man. So, yeah, but anyway, there you go, little smushy moment there. All right, uh, I love you. Okay, so, anyway, we've done a lot of things in ministry together, but here we, here we go as we're walking through um, this series called Believe, and I... I think that's the last week of that song, okay? So great news, right? Uh, But anyway, we are in our final week of our first 10 weeks. So this series is 30 weeks that we've been walking through, right? But we're done, or coming to the end of today, our first 10 weeks. And in this series, we really, we've talked about a couple different things of what we believe, right? So we started with our, our vertical beliefs, like our beliefs towards God and who He is and what He means in our life. And then these past couple weeks, we've been looking at the horizontal, right? Like how we interact with those around us. And so the compassion that we have towards them, the love that we have, how we steward the things that we've been given, what we talked about last week. Now this week, we're going to move even further down the line than just the life that you are living now, right? We're going to step into this peak or this look of what eternity looks like. Okay, and so we're going to go even further down the road, if you will. Okay, and so each week we've kind of had this key question that has really fueled our conversation. Okay, and so each week this, this question comes up to just kind of get you thinking, right? Or if somebody asks you this question, you now hopefully have a response to it, right? And so our question this week is simply this, what happens next? 
Okay, now put this in the context of these 10 weeks. So we've talked about our connection with God, right? Then we've talked about our connection with others. Okay, we, those, are, those are there. Now what happens next, right? Like what do we have next for us? And so many a person can make a proclamation or a prediction about the future, right? Like you can say a statement like, hey, tomorrow I'm going to Taco Bell for lunch, right? Like you can make a prediction or you can make a, a hope for the future, right? Or even in a couple months, I'm going to go on vacation to here or there, right? But here's the thing about it. In our human minds, we don't truly know what the future holds, right? And so when we talk about eternity, sometimes folks are like, well, you don't know that. Well, we may not, but guess what? As believers and followers of Jesus, we do have this thing within the scriptures that tells us a little bit of what the future will hold and what the future will look like. It's almost as though God has blessed us and given us this snapshot of what you, as a follower and believer of Jesus, have to look forward to. And what a thankful thing to have, right? Because then what does it do? It gives us not only purpose here on earth, but purpose for the future. Like, what happens next? Well, this is what happens next, right? And so... This study of the future or this study of these last events is called, this big fancy word called eschatology, okay? Eschatology. Now, here's the thing. When we break that down, it comes from the Greek word eschatos, okay, which means last. And then ology, okay, which ology to anything is the study of. So it's the study of the last days, Okay, And so when we talk about eschatology, there's really kind of two types of eschatology that we see in the Bible. There's individual eschatology, like what happens to you individually in your last days. And then there's general eschatology, which is, okay, these are going to be the final events of those last days. Like this is what it's all going to kind of look like. All right? And so this morning, we have our key statement that we're making, our believe statement, right? We've had nine of these now. This is our tenth one. And in this belief statement, this is something that you can take with you. And when someone asks the question, hey, what do you believe about the future? Like, what do you believe about the end times? All of those things, you can take this statement and begin to share it with them, okay? And so here's our statement today. I believe that there is a heaven and a hell, and that Jesus will return to judge all people and to establish his eternal kingdom. Now, here's the thing about that statement. You're actually making three statements. You realize that? You're making three statements in that one statement. So let me kind of break it down. I believe that there is a heaven and hell. There's number one. I believe that Jesus will return to judge all people. There's number two. And I believe that Jesus will establish his eternal kingdom. All right? So what I hope to do this morning for you is that we can take that statement and break it into those three pieces and kind of spend a little bit of time on them. Now, here's the thing that we've got to understand about the conversation of end times, all right? There's a lot there. Can we agree? Like, there is a lot there, and there's a lot there for us that even our human minds may not fully grasp or understand. And the end times, in the same way as creation, are something that's been really debated for years, centuries, right? But this morning, I want to give you kind of an overview of this statement that we're making, all right? So the first one, I believe there's a heaven and a hell, all right? 
Now, here's the thing. I think in many contexts, we try to dismiss the reality that these are literal places. Like we kind of put them out there as a, okay, maybe. But no, they are literal places, okay? And so this statement really carries some weight. When you're saying, I believe there is a heaven and a hell, you are saying, I believe these places truly exist. Like this is a thing, okay? Now, here's the thing. One of them is really easy to talk about. Heaven, like glory, hallelujah, right? Celebration, like there are great things that happen in heaven. And we talk about the future of heaven and how hopeful or how beautiful it will be and how great it is and how hopeful it makes us to be there and be a part of it. But here's the other thing. We have this other entity that we don't like to talk about, right? We, we almost kind of sometimes dismiss it because of the severity of it. And we sit there and go, wow, that seems that seems rough, like that seems harsh, but yes, it is a real place, okay? Now, it's hard for us to imagine this, this description that we have, right, of this eternal suffering. I mean, I don't like to burn my hand on the stove, right, or even touch a candle, but we're talking about this eternity spent in a fiery place, and we go, oh, really? But what do we tend to, what do, we, tend to do? we just tend to dismiss it. Well, then let's just, that's kind of that's scary, right? So let's not talk about it. But the truth is that if we're making this statement, I believe heaven and hell, like I believe they are real, then we, we need to know a little bit about them, right? We need to know a little bit about them. So here's the thing, okay? So when we look in the scriptures, we see words of these places that are concrete and vivid. Like they are clear pictures of what we We'll see, okay? And so here's the thing. Heaven. Man, the descriptions of heaven. Like, heaven is richly adorned, right? It is extravagant. It is beautiful. And we will be in the presence and connection with God himself, just as it was intended to be back in Genesis. Like, it is a glorious place, right? It is so glorious. Paul describes it this way in 1 Corinthians. He says, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man conceived, God has prepared for those who love him. Like we can't even in our human mind fathom the beauty of what this place will be. Well, that's awesome, right? Like that's awesome. But then we have this other entity, right? We have hell itself, and we see the same clear pictures of it. Fiery, torment, hurt, pain, struggle. And we'd like to so easily dismiss it. It's not a joyful place, right? Like, it's not a joyful place place. And here's the thing, like when we look through the scriptures, we may not know the exact ins and outs of these two places and what they're going to look like or what they're going to feel like. And sure, we have great descriptions through the text, but here's the important thing that I want you to understand this morning, okay, is this. They are two separate places and they have two very different feels, right? They have two very different feels and there is a separation and a variance between the two one includes the father his glory his presence and this eternity with him and the other does not now i know that's a simple statement right let me say it again one includes the father his glory his presence and eternity with him and the other does not 
pretty simple, right? Pretty simple and basic. But let's come from that from the standpoint of now a believer and follower of Jesus. We are in His presence or we are not. Now, we see in Luke chapter 16, if you turn there with me, we see this individual here. And we get kind of a, a picture of what this place of torment looks like. And it's, it's so tough for him, and it's so rough for him that he says, you know what, I would desire that you send someone back to share with them of the torment that is in this place in Luke chapter 16. So let's read it. There was a rich man who had dressed in purple and fine linen, feasting lavishly every day. But a poor man named Lazarus, not the same Lazarus that would be raised by Jesus, but covered with sores and was left at his gate. And he longed to be filled with what fell from the rich man's table, but instead the dogs would come and lick his sores. One day the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side, to heaven as we know it. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he looked up and saw Abraham a long way off. You see, there is separation there with Lazarus at his side. Father Abraham, he called out, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip his tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am agony in this flame. I am in agony in this flame. You see, he is in a place that he desires even this poor person who was wretched to him. Come to me and bring me Cool, bring me some coolness here to where I am. But then look, son, Abraham said, remember that during your life you received your good things, just as Lazarus received bad. But now he is comforted here while you are in agony. Besides all this, a great chasm has been fixed between us and you, so that those who want to pass over from here to you cannot. Neither can those from there cross over to us. But Father, he said, Then I beg you, send him to my father's house, because I have five brothers, to warn them so that they won't also come to this place of torment. You see, he's so in pain and agony that he so desires, send someone back to my family so that they don't have to experience what I'm experiencing. That's the description that we have of these places. Now, I believe that there is a heaven and a hell. But again, that that main point, that these are two separate places. Now, let's continue. I believe that Jesus will return to judge all people. Now, in that one statement, we're almost saying two. I believe He will return, right? He will return. And there's an important element there. He will return just as he came the first time. Now, not in the form of a child, as he did before, but in the fullness and proclamation that he could have come in the first edition, if you will. Right? He will come in the fullness and he will be showing his full authority, his greatness, and his renown as he steps into this place. He will declare, I am God And we see in the Scriptures that all will bow before Him. Now let's look at what the Scriptures say about this and how they describe it. Okay, so turn over to 1 Thessalonians. I've got to get there myself. And chapter 4, 
we see that when this description of Jesus returning, look here in verse 16 of chapter 4, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the archangel's voice and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Now here's the thing. You've heard the trumpet in the marching band, right? The trumpet in the marching band has great prominence, like right? It's loud. But guess what? This trumpet will have, or that trumpet will have nothing on the trumpet of the Lord. It will be full proclamation. If you think king's proclamation, right? Like the king is coming, that's the proclamation that we will experience from the trumpet and the sound of the Lord returning. And what a beautiful thing it will be. No one will be able to not take notice. It will be present and clear. But look here. We see all through the Scripture this verbiage of the day of the Lord, the the declaration of the Lord, the time of the Lord, the restoration of the Lord. And all through the Old Testament, we see it as as kind of this place of, of this day of expectation of deliverance. Right? Deliverance. And then it moves into the New Testament and they speak of the day of return. Like the day of the Lord. We will celebrate it. And here's the thing about the New Testament church. They were never in a place that they needed to be convinced that the same Jesus that had just lived, died, and resurrected would not return. Like they knew it wholeheartedly. And they fully believed it. And they believed it so much so that they thought it was going to be like in their lifetime. Like, he said he's returned. Well, he's done all these other things he said he's going to do, so he's probably going to return, right? And then when he doesn't return and they start having people die, they're like, wait a minute. They're not going to get to share in the glory of what we have. And so Paul writes them here in Thessalonians and says, no, 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 look. They will celebrate in the glory as well, right? So look at verse 15. For we say this to you by revelation to the Lord. We are still alive at the Lord's coming. Those that are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly have no advantage over those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself, as we just read, will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are still alive will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air so that we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. You see, they're getting mad. Like, wait, wait, they're not going to get to experience the glory of the Lord. And Paul's going, no, no, there is no advantage, life or death, but your connection with the Lord. That's the advantage that you have. You're in relationship with Jesus and who he is. And then he says, look, in chapter 5, verse 1, about the time and the seasons, brothers, you do not need anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord, see there's that phrasing, will come just like a thief in the night. Now, how does a thief come? Do they shoot you a text and like, hey, I'm I'm on my way. No, no, a thief quickly appears, right? A thief is unexpected. They come when you least expect it, in fact. And here he says, look, When they say peace and security, then sudden destruction comes on them with labor pains come like labor pains come on a pregnant woman. I remember when Abby was pregnant and she would have like contractions, right? And they're, whoa, what was that? Right? Like it stops everything. It's unexpected. And the same way is how then the Lord himself will return. You see, you don't plan on the thief coming 
in. But verse 6, look what it says in chapter 5. So then we must not sleep like the rest, but we must stay awake and be serious. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, we must be serious and put on the armor of faith and love on our chest and put on a helmet of the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? Like, don't just rest in the fact that you will have glory, but put on the armor of God, right? The same armor he speaks of over in Ephesians, like put on the armor and be ready to go. Fight the battle. Don't just sit back and wait, but be ready, okay? And so look here, verse 9, for God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whatever or excuse me, whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up in these things you are already doing. You see, it doesn't matter, ultimately, if they were dead or alive, but it came down to their relationship and their connection with Jesus. Now, we've made the statement, I believe there's a heaven and a hell. We've made the statement, I believe that Jesus will return. But then there's that second part, that He will return and He will judge. Right? He will judge. And we see judgment from God in several capacities in the Old Testament. And like, thankful for His grace in the New Testament. Right? Like, you look back at the Old Testament and you're like, wow, God took things seriously, didn't He? And He took care of them quick. And in the New Testament, we have this grace that is given to us, each and every one. But then, like... There's this, this moment here we're talking about is this final moment of judgment, this ultimate judgment of all nations and all people, okay? And so Jesus himself even speaks about this over in Matthew chapter 25. So if you have your Bibles, turn over there with me. And this is right after what we talked about last week, right? This idea of stewardship and stewarding the things that you have. And then in that, why does he want them to steward it well? To prepare for when Jesus returns, right? But then in verse 31 of chapter 25, he says this, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. And all the nations will be gathered before Him. You see, we don't have a white Jesus. We don't have a black Jesus. Right? We don't have an Asian Jesus. We have one who will have all nations before Him. And they will be gathered before him and he will separate them from one another. Just as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Now look here. He's not talking about Jesus sitting before literal sheep and goats. Right? Like this is figurative language of those who will follow him and those who will not. You see, sheep have a shepherd. Goats just simply graze. Right? Sheep have a shepherd, but goats simply graze. And so as he's walking through this, he says, Look, then the king will say to those on his right, the sheep, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, 
When did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and take you in or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? But look here, the king will answer them. I assure you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, you also did for me. You see, these are actions of love, right? Are they not? They are actions of love that these people begin to do and to put in place. But then look here in verse 41. Then he will also say to those on the left, Depart from me, for you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing. I was a stranger and you didn't take me in. I was naked and you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not care for me. Then they too will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry, thirsty, a stranger, or without clothes or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer them, I assure you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me either. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now we go, man, that seems harsh, doesn't it? Like that seems harsh, but here's the thing about it. Look, they're both presented with the same opportunities, but what, what puts them in the different places? How they respond to those things that are given to them, right? Their response to how the things that are given them. Now, here's the deal. You may hear some of this and struggle with it a little bit, right? Like, be troubled a little bit in your heart. That's a hope, right? That you have a burden for those that might be in this place that currently they sit with no relationship with Jesus. And this is where they will end up. Like, this is their final judgment in this place of torment and hurt. That, that hopefully hurts your heart, does it not? That those around us who don't know Jesus, this is where they will be. But look here. The Lord says this in John 14. Let me turn over there real quick. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms, and I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go away and prepare a place for you, look here, I will come back, so there's the return, and receive you to myself, so that where I am, you may also be. You know the way to where, you will know the way to where I am going. Right? Do not let your hearts be troubled if you are believer. If you are believing in God, believing in Him. Now, that final thing that we have here in this statement, okay? I believe Jesus will establish His eternal kingdom. So He returns, right? He will return and He will establish His eternal kingdom. A new order has come about, right? In Revelation, we're introduced to it in this way in Revelation 21. There I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea no longer existed. 
And I also saw the holy city in New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. You see, John was given this revelation. He was given these future happenings to kind of give us a peek into the window of what was to come, to give us an opportunity to look forward to what it was going to be like. And here he tells us, look, God has now created what he originally intended. Right? There is now restoration with his kingdom. He's no longer far away and unapproachable, but he is now with us and walking in the midst of his people just as he so desired back in Genesis. There's now restoration there, right? And so he continues in, in Revelation 21. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. See, he will be walking with us. But look here, it gets even better. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will no longer exist. Grief, crying, and pain will exist no longer because the previous things have passed away. The things of hurt are gone. But look then, he adds even more to it, right? Then the one seated at the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. Write this because these words are faithful and true. Write this down. This is something people are going to want to hear. And everything is then Restored. It's completely brought back into glory. Now, here's the thing about the way John describes it. He describes it in words that we can understand, right? Words that we can, we can grasp. He speaks of, of a city and lights and life and death and rivers with trees and all of these precious stones as he's describing what this new city will look like there in Revelation 21. But here's the thing about it. It's not something that we can fathom. Yes, we can dream and we can think of what it'll be, but it's far more than that. It'll be greater beauty than we can imagine. Look here, in Revelation 21, 23, he says this, The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, because God's glory illuminates it, and the lamp is the Lamb, Jesus Himself. The nations will walk in its light and the kings of the earth will bring glory into it. And each day its gates will never close because it will never be night there. And they will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. And nothing profane will ever enter it. And no one who does what is vile or false, but only those written in the Lamb's book of life. It's going to be a place of beautiful glory. In the presence of God Himself. But who will be there? (laughs) Nothing profane will enter it. And no one who does what is vile or false, but only those written in the Lamb's book of life. Only those who have relationship with Jesus. Only those who have confessed with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. Only those that cling to Jesus will eternally be in His presence and in His glory. But that's why the one who does is able to say, look, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus makes that statement. No one can come except through me. Like He is the pathway 
to this. That's why he's so important to our lives, right? Such an important element of our lives. I believe that the God of the Bible is the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I believe God is involved in and cares about my daily life. I believe a person comes into right relationship with God by God's grace through faith in Christ Jesus. I believe the Bible is the inspired word of God that guides my beliefs and actions. I believe I'm significant because of my position as a child of God. And what we talk through of this glory and this place we'll be puts us in a pretty great position, doesn't it? I believe the church is God's primary way to accomplish His purposes on earth. I believe all people are loved by God and need Jesus Christ as their Savior. You see, there's that burden, right? The burden for the one who will not see His glory. I believe God calls all Christians to show compassion to people in need. And I believe everything I am and everything I own belong to God. But I also believe there's a heaven and a hell and that Jesus will return to judge all people and to establish His eternal kingdom. But here's the thing, okay? Today, like my prayer for you today is that if you have not begun a relationship with Him, today is the day. Today, may you be brought into true life through Jesus Christ and the power that He has in and through your life so that on the day of return, you will be able to celebrate in His glory. Whether it be in this lifetime, or it be that you have passed and you are brought back. Whatever that might look like for you, right? But today is the day. Amen? Let me pray for us, and we'll continue. Father, Father, we are not in a place that we cannot say that you have not let us know what is to come. Lord, you have given us a picture of what that may be. And there may be details and elements of that that we may not fully understand, but Lord, you have laid a pathway for us to be in right relationship with you so that on that day, when it comes in the thief, like a thief in the night, we will be prepared and ready. And so, Lord, today, if we have not begun a relationship with you, may today be the day. And Lord, may you lay a burden on our hearts. If we are a believer of you and a follower of you, may you lay a burden on our hearts for those who do not yet know you. Father, so that they can sit and be and enjoy your glory. And so, Lord, today is this is not the easiest topic to talk about, not the easiest conversation to have. Lord, may you just bind our hearts together for a burden for those who may not experience this. Lord, your glory is far more than we can imagine. And so today... Lord, we praise you and thank you for the fact that you sent your son for us. Lord, it is an opportunity to bring us into right relationship with you and to remove us from this eternal condemnation. Lord, we worship you and we thank you. Lord, we look forward to that day of your return when all nations will bow before you. 
All nations will be in your presence. And Lord, they will see the mighty God that you are. And Lord, as we continue in this time of worship, may we celebrate that and who you truly are, the mighty and powerful God. Lord, may you speak to us in just these next few minutes. Lord, whatever may be going through our hearts and through our minds, Lord, may you bring truth to it. And may you speak to us in these next few minutes. Lord, we give this time to you and we celebrate you. In your son's name, amen.